So friends, very, very welcome uh, as always, and especially if you're new and you're, you're, you're finding yourself with us for the first time, I hope you think that was a good choice that you made. Thanks for being here. And um, yeah, hang around after us. There's people with lanyards and people who are, who are much more friendly than I am who will who, uh, make you feel at ease and so on. It is that time of year too where, where it's just lovely where one or two of our wider connections pop up around the place. I mean, we always have David and Ali with us, but Pierre and Adelaide, they're... Son and daughter came a while ago, uh, missionaries, as we know, mission partners of this church in North Africa, and said hi. Uh, Kev, of course, uh, represents Macedonia, and uh, we've had Bishop Ernest and the um, whole Kenyan enterprise, and uh, Ross Patterson is coming a little bit later. Um, our friends from Sri Lanka, Rosh, uh, Liz and Roshan. Liz is going to be here with us in a couple of weeks' time. I also happen to note, notice that Will Ray's back, though, from London at the moment. Could we just give a, a polite round of applause for, for Will? Some of you will know Will, and some of you won't, but Will is, is, is probably our newest mission partner, I think. And it's lovely that you're back with us, Will, I guess, just for the weekend, but welcome to you. And actually, next week, uh, I want to say, uh, there will be somebody, probably in the morning, not the evening, and she's not speaking, but she's the daughter of another mission partner who's perhaps our least well-known mission partner of all, called Brother Thomas, who is an absolutely remarkable guy who, with whom we've had an association. We, we support him in prayer and a little bit of finance on a monthly basis, um, as we do those others that I've mentioned. And uh, his story is extraordinary, that how he met Jesus as a young man. Uh, he was still at school. He used to climb a hill every school, came from an aggressively Hindu background. He had an encounter with Jesus on top of a hill, uh, and, and, and his whole life was turned around. And even in that moment and the succeeding encounters, he knew that Jesus was calling him to a life kind of laid down in his service, wherever that would take him, but especially taking him to places where, where there are very, very few believers in Jesus and to start uh, witnessing, sharing his faith and planting churches and all that kind of thing. And he's done that amazingly for the best part of the last 40 years, four decades. Sto his story, by the way, is told in this little book. It's absolutely brilliant and it's free. And there's still a few copies uh, back there at the bookstore. It's called Serving the God of Miracles by Thomas. That is his name, Thomas. Uh, we call him Brother Thomas. Um, and especially his call was to some of the remotest parts of northeast North India, uh, right up where, it, in, where the Himalayas are, really near Nepal, near, near uh, the Chinese border as well. Really, really remote, extremely cut off. Uh, nine, for six months of the year, very often the region where he's been, or often been, is uh, cut off by snow, very hostile to hearing about Jesus. It's not his home. He's from Mumbai. He'd say, he said he'd far rather that the Lord had called him somewhere where it was warmer and you know, he, had, he had connections and so on. But he's had uh, very few resources over the years, but he's a man who chose early on and then learned through the course of time, he's far from perfect, but this will be his testimony, to rely on God, to do that thing that we call faith, to do that thing that we've been singing and talking about where he wanted to trust Jesus more than trusting in himself or his resources or his skills or his experience or anything else to back him up. And that's what he's done, that the Lord would care for him, would provide for him, even through experiences of, of real uh, difficulty um, and, and problems. And there, and there have been many, a couple of stories from his book. He talks about the time he was struggling to find a place to live, tiny, tiny remote place. People were very suspicious of him, partly because they're suspicious of the Jesus he wanted to share, and partly because he was suspicious that he would talk to anybody, including those, those from the lowest caste which nobody else spoke to. So they're very suspicious about this guy. And, and it, he did have some, uh, a, a tiny flat, but it was a problem. And he, one day he said he, was, he needed to pay the rent. 
And the rent was 150 rupees for the month. That's £1.42 in today's money. And he only had 50 rupees in his, um, in his uh, wallet. He's walking back uh, uh, across a rubbish dump. He looks down, this tiny remote pl- pl- up near the Himalayas. Over, on this rubbish dump, he sees this crumpled up piece of paper. He takes the crumpled piece of paper. He unfolds it, and it's a poster and, that says, God keeps his promises. What are the chances? God keeps his promises. That was many, many years ago. It's still up on his wall. He uncrumpled it. It's still there to remind him that God had promised to be faithful, that life was tough for him, but God had promised to be faithful. He then, in the same moment, by the way, went to an address book to find the address of somebody that he wanted to write to. As he opened the old address book, a 100-rupee note fell out. So he had his 150 rupees, and he could pay the rent. There was another time he just got married to Jesse, and uh, they were in a very small, remote, isolated part of, uh, of that region as well, where there was a lot of persecution And again, very little resources. He'd given away the small funds that he had to somebody he felt had a greater need than him. But he was, uh, they were stoned quite regularly. I don't mean they were stoned. People threw stones at them, threw rocks at them. Uh, Quite often in that area as they're traveling around and even sometimes at night they come and throw uh, rocks at the the little house that they had, tiny little room that they had. And they heard that an even more violent gang, aggressively Hindu gang, was going to come and... um, was going to come and uh, attack them, essentially, and probably kill them. And so Jesse and uh, her husband, uh, Brother Thomas, they, they just prayed. They said, well, should we go or should we, or should we stay? And they said, no, we're going to stay. We, we believe we're going to stay. And a bit like Esther in the Bible, remember who makes her brave stand, I'm going to go into the king, but if he, if he kills me, he kills me, but I'm still going to go. Daniel, uh, his friends in the lion's den, if we die, we die, but we're, we're not going to give up. They said, if, if we're killed, well, we're going to be killed together. We're going to be killed in the name of Jesus. And they took their stand there and then, and it turned out that the gang were looking for them all over the region, and they simply were shielded from finding where uh, Brother Thomas actually, um, actually was couple of just tasters from, from his story of, of somebody who is stepping out, trusting God, dependent. And I just believe, uh, friends, tonight that the Lord, and in, in this season, it, was, it would always be true, but as we're just thinking about in this series called But God, uh, where we're looking at some people, situations, life, which is difficult uh, for one reason or another, but God is the declaration, but God was there, but God is good, but God is who he says he is, who we've just been singing about, and that's the thing that makes all the difference. And I believe he's wanting to stir our confidence in that. So can I just pray again as we, as we continue and, and that we dive into a story tonight for a little while, that God would really speak to us. Father, we know that we, 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 we so want for more of you in us, Lord. Most of us do. We want for more of our hearts to be captivated by you. We want for this thing that we call faith and trust and dependence in you to grow, to take root and to grow. And, Lord, that, that our, our propensity to get distracted and, and, um, and all the other things, Lord, would diminish So, Lord, would you present to us an even more beautiful and compelling vision of yourself tonight? Would you encourage us? Would you put confidence in us? In Jesus' name. Faithfulness, perseverance, courage. Dallas Willard calls that type of following Jesus a long obedience in the same direction. Do you like that? Is that what you're up for if you've signed on the dotted line? If If you call yourself a follower of Jesus now, is that what you're... You know, you're setting up a long obedience in the same direction. Whatever it costs, whatever comes my way, a long obedience, I'm going to obey in the same direction. I say this quite often from here. It was said about 25 years ago or 20 years ago from somebody who stood here, said, I'm 50 years old and I've learned two things in 50 years, that life is tough, but God is good. 
and it's stuck with me, and it's become part of you know, my kind of internal wiring. Life is tough, but God is good, and we don't need any persuading that life is tough for all kinds of reasons, but we do need to keep being encouraged that God is good. And that can be a bumper sticker kind of a thing. We can go, mental ascent, yes, kind of thing. You stick on your fridge or your car and go, yeah, great, life is, good. Life is tough, but God is good kind of thing. But it doesn't really kind of land. Well, that doesn't bring any faith to that statement. Just to say the statement or to write it doesn't you know, make it real for you. Or you can begin to be a bit more like uh, Brother Thomas, let's say, where there's real teeth to that. Are you one of those people? Do you want to bring, you know, kind of, 10 out of 10 level of confidence to that statement. That, yeah, life is tough, but God is good. And that's where I'm staking my claim. Not just the kind of the bumper sticker version. I'm pretty sure that we're all in, in that uh, arena. Because it is a declaration of war. To say that God is good and to mean it in faith, in the name of Jesus, is a declaration of war. It's to say that whatever this world, the world, the flesh, the devil can throw at us, and he throws a lot, and we throw a lot at ourselves, they don't have the final word. God does. And we also know the end of the story, by the way. And God is good. So that's a great statement. And especially, frankly, it is when life is tough and the seasons are difficult in life that perhaps the ground is the most fertile for the growing, for the but God. It's also the most fertile time. It's a vulnerable time, isn't it, when life is really, really tough? Because at the same time, it's also the time when we're most tempted to ditch God, potentially. It's kind of an either or. So if you're in a tough season right now, whether that's through your own bad choices or somebody else's bad choices that affect you or just the stuff of life, you're in a vulnerable place, but in a way, a really good place. Because God does his best work in caves, somebody said. In other words, in those kinds of moments, if we will let him, and it's not automatic. Brother Thomas says so many times that he felt like giving up, choosing an easy way out, going back to Mumbai, taking a good, well-paid job. He's a trained accountant, by the way. It's not like he didn't have other options. But he says, but God is good. And by God's grace, he kept on you know, just treading the Lord's path as, as obediently as he could, um, you know, taking pain and challenge and suffering along the way, but taking it to the Lord, doing the, the pain and the challenge and the suffering with the Lord and finding that he's faithful. And he's seen some amazing fruit, by the way. In fact, some of those rock throwers a couple of decades ago, of course, in the end, some of them came to faith. And some of them even now are leading churches in that area. We may get a moment to have Brother Thomas, his daughter Tara, up next week. I, I don't know, but read the book. And so to this story tonight, and you'll remember, uh, Andrew, if you're here this time last week, was, was giving us uh, the story of Joseph. A bunch of bad things happened to Joseph. You know the story, remember that? He was a, largely a victim of other people's choices, especially his family's, tragically. But Joseph didn't get bitter. He got better, as they say. Somehow God's grace reached him enough for him to embrace that he could be dependent on the Lord, and he hung in there with the Lord in the pit originally, do you remember, in slavery in Egypt, under false accusations, in prison probably for about 12 years, ended up being able to say to his brothers, the very people who caused all this problem, you intended to harm me, but God, remember that, but God intended it for good. God could take what was bad. God didn't cause what was bad, but he could take what was bad and turn it into good. And that's Joseph's story. Andrew reminded us of Romans 8.28, which says it a slightly different way. Learn this verse. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. All things, all things, all things. Not all things except cancer. Not all things except relational breakdown. Not all things except tragedy or difficulty or problem or, or challenge. All things. God 
can work for good. Doesn't cause them, but he can work them for good. Again, not automatically and not for everybody. There's a condition in the verse. It's for those who love him. Would you say that you're somebody who's begun that? None of us love him in the way that we want to, but have you begun that? Would you say, I love, I love God. Yeah, I love Jesus. I've begun that journey. I love, I'm thankful. I'm grateful. I love, well, that's you then. God can turn, use your pain, your challenge, the thing that you're going through or have been through or will for good. One of the great, great promises, so reassuring. And so to the story of Ruth tonight, uh, just for, for a little while, you might want to find it. If, if, it's only 80, actually, don't bother finding it. It's 85 verses long, because I'm pretty sure if you don't know the story of Ruth, then I commend it to you, and please read it. I'm not going to read 85 verses tonight. But again, we're, we're going to find somebody who is able to say, but God, over and over again, but God managed to provide for her, encouraged her, saved her, redeemed her, honored her faith, her trust. And in her case, while some bad things happened to her early on, like Joseph, she was the victim of some of the things that happened to her that she weren't. Actually, a lot of the difficulty that she ran into was her choice because she chose to serve the Lord. She chose to walk with him. She chose to be dependent on him. She chose to make, do some things for the sake of somebody else that made life hard for her. And she didn't need to do that. But in the doing of it, she found but God was there, and but God honored her, and but God blessed her. Really brief summary. There's a famine in the land of Israel. Naomi and her husband, they live in Bethlehem, note that. They hear that there's food in the country down south called Moab, so they go there with their two sons. Moab is a region where they worship pagan gods, not the God of Israel, so they're hostile to God's people, but they still go there, they settle there. The two sons marry two local women. One of them is called Ruth, the other is called Orpah. Got it so far? Sadly, a little bit later, Naomi's husband dies, and then tragically, both of her sons die as well. So she's left a widow in a foreign land with two daughters-in-law from that culture. She's not from that culture. There are three women in that culture. They're vulnerable. They've got no means of support, so they're in a tough situation. Naomi decides to head back to Israel, uh, to, to Bethlehem, the land of her birth, because she's heard that the food situation has improved. Initially, Ruth and Orpah go with her. But she encourages them to, to turn back because, after all, Moab is their home and, and, uh, and that's all they've ever known. Orpah, one sister, does a daughter in law, does turn back, but Ruth chooses to carry on with Naomi. And in the famous verse in, in chapter 1, verse 16, says this great faith statement Where you go to her mother in law, Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die, and there I'll be buried. And may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. It's a way of making, sort of sign, signing this, this promise in blood. And so they go back to, to, to Bethlehem, still uncertain about how they're going to survive. And in order to scrape some food together, Ruth goes and picks up the grain at the side of the field, in, uh, which the harvesters haven't harvested, in order just to have a little bit of food. It turns out that the field that she's in belongs to a guy called Boaz, who is a relative of Naomi's dead husband. So Boaz, the landowner, meets this Ruth, finds out who she is, discovers who she is, shows her kindness, enables her to, to gather food safely, uh, and ensures that she's kind of respected and protected. And he says to her at the, in the middle of chapter two, I've been told all about you, Ruth, what you've done for your mother-in-law Naomi since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland, and you came to live here with a people that you don't even know before. So may the Lord repay you, bless you, repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. 
under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth goes home, tells Naomi all about this guy, Boaz. Naomi's delighted, realizes that Boaz, because he's a family member, according to the culture, has certain responsibilities towards them, so maybe he's the ticket to a slightly better life, and she has a bit of a cunning plan. She spots her opportunity, and she essentially sets Ruth respectfully, but to go and kind of flirt with Boaz in a way that is effectively asking him to marry her, which he does. There's a bit of an obstacle in the way of that happening, but Boaz, with integrity and wisdom, gets over the obstacle, and they end up getting married. And that's, that's the redemption. That's the story. You probably know it, and if you didn't, there you do in, in two minutes. And eventually, by the way, they have a son called, called Obed. Remember that? And Obed has a son called Jesse, and Jesse has a son called David, right, in Bethlehem. Beautiful. So she gets scooped up into the family tree of, of, of Jesus himself. But life is tough, but God is good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? With what level of confidence right now do you believe that, yeah, life is tough? It's very tough for Ruth. Very tough for Naomi, but do you believe it? Your life, by the way, will tell us the answer to that. Andrew rightly pointed out. What we actually believe shows up in the way that we live. Our life will tell us whether we believe that God is good or not. What we say, how we act, how we live, the decisions we take, the daily habits that reveal our character, that reveal what we, we most fundamentally value. We can tell, can't we, of each other. Really, uh, relatively straightforwardly and without hoping to oversimplify, just three different types of faith, three comments on faith I want to make from this story, and you can check them out later. Firstly, Orpah, this uh, sister-in-law who sets out with the others for Bethlehem but then turns back. Uh, I'm going to call that fragile faith. We might even call it no faith. I don't want to read too much into the story, but fragile faith, something that's fragile breaks easily. And at the first hint of something really difficult or challenging, in her case, moving away and carrying on going with with her her sister-in-law and with her mother-in-law, she turns back. And she goes back to what she she knows. She, she, She retreats. She quits, if you like. She settles for the safe thing, for her own comfort, what was familiar what was going to make her feel in control, not threatened by, by the unknown, fitting into a culture where she's not going to stand out, all of that sort of thing. She retreats back. When the going got tough for her, essentially she quit. And the tragedy of that, I don't know if I'm talking to anybody who recognizes this, I do it in my own life sometimes, have, have, have had these moments or times. The tragedy of that is that when we quit, when life is overwhelming and we choose to withdraw from the law, we choose to retreat, we choose to go back to what is safe, what is known, something that we feel as if we can control because nothing else we can control and it's all a bit painful. The more we retreat, the more we, we disengage from the Lord, the more we disengage from God's people, the more we disengage from church, from the Bible, from fellowship, from th- things like that, so that we mentally check out, spiritually we check out. The more we place ourselves at a distance where it's harder and harder and harder for God to reach us. Now, of course, God's reckless love comes chasing after us, but it's harder and harder to reconnect. And some of you know that experience. Some of you may, may even be there right now. And, and you've kind of made it back in, as it were, to, to this building at least, but you've kind of checked out. In Simon Gilbo's phrase, uh, Orpah settled for the safety of existing rather than the adventure of really living. Don't know what you make of that. And we're not judging her for that. It's not for us to judge. I'm not suggesting we should judge anybody for for these things. But let's just recognize in ourselves the kind of pressures that that lead to that. The kind of peer pressure that Orpah might have felt. Much more at home. Culture not standing out. Feeling as if, you know, well, this is a world that I know rather than the world that I don't know. This stepping out business for God, that feels scarier. I'd rather just stick with, with what I've got. Thanks very much. 
culture around us is so cynical, so hard-hearted, so opposed to, to, to Jesus' followers, isn't it? Being full-on anyway. So much easier just to you know, collude. We, we, we've been there uh, so many times this, this year already. Well, Jesus had plenty to say about that. Playing it safe. So maybe one of our questions, Lord, am I, am I playing something safe? Am I settling for safety anywhere right here? And what you're calling me to is, is something different. Naomi, second, uh, so I might call, see something of what I might call flaky faith in her, um, where it, it's a little bit dependent on what's going on in her life, it seems to me. Quite closely, how she is with God is, is linked with how she is in, her, in the circumstances of life. So there's a famine here, God can't be good. But there's food in Moab, so that's better. My sons have got married, so God is good. But now my husband and my sons are dead, so God is definitely not good. And on returning to Bethlehem, uh, her old neighbors see her and they say this. I think the words are on the screen here. Can this be Naomi? And she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. <coughs> because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I think this is, there's a, a verse for it, Steve. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And you can see where she's coming. He can't be good because my life's gone bad. You get the point? You can't, he, God can't be good because look at what's happened. And now I'm going to starve, even though, by the way, Naomi isn't the one who goes looking for food. It's only Ruth who goes out to do the work of looking. But then Re, uh, Ruth meets Boaz, and the whole thing comes to Naomi. And guess what? Things, things are looking up. I've got a chance again. Hey, God is good again. I may be doing Naomi a huge just uh, injustice here, but there's something of the roller coaster here, isn't there? Where if we tie how we are with God to what's going on in our life, we are in for a really rocky ride. We, we had a, a day in Weymouth, don't ask me why, in the rain yesterday. Uh, but there was a, there was a little uh, a roller coaster thing for kids, and it just occurred to me as I was thinking about this. You, you get all the emotions there, the kind of boredom and waiting for something interesting to happen, and then the kind of slight sense of anticipation as you know, they get on and the ride happens, and then the sense of exhilaration and excitement and that they're going fast, and then the slight sense of fear and terror because we're going now too fast and going around the corners, and these little kids kind of terrified, and then the disappointment because it's all over. We're in for that kind of, and we all experience that, right, in terms of our experiences and our feelings, because that's life. But if we tie how we believe God is to that, then we're in trouble. We're in for that kind of ride, are we not? My relationship is going really well, so God is good. My parents are getting divorced, so God isn't so good. I get sick. I fail the exam. The door to a new role doesn't open. Where's God? A surprise gift arrives that's a blessing. Hey, God's really good. My bank account is healthy. The sun is shining. I'm going surfing next week. God must be good. Church is boring. Life is flat. My prayers aren't being answered. Where's God? He can't be good. I don't know why. Is he listening? Does he care? Friends, I, I hope you know me well enough, those who do. I'm, I'm not diminishing uh, in any, any, any way the toughness of life. There will be people in this room for whom the pain is excruciating. Really, really, really horrible things happen in life. They just do super, super painful. So it's not about being, uh, being dismissive of that at all. Life is really tough, and for some, almost unbearably so. But for all of us, we ride this roller coaster of experiences. But if we draw our conclusions about God from what happens in life, then we're in for that, tough, uh, that rough ride. And our faith will only be as strong as the last good experience we had. Do we get that? And I know we kind of mentally assent to it, but it's really tempting, isn't it? God's good because the sun's shining. 
The sun wasn't shining in Weymouth. I was wondering, is God, does he, does he, does he, does he love Weymouth? Ruth, <coughs> Ruth shows us something different, just, just lastly. This is full-on faith, uh, what I'm going to call full-on faith, because I needed another F. Um, it's not fragile. It's not settling for the safe option. It's not flaky, because she doesn't, while she has the roller coaster of experiences, she doesn't l- draw her conclusions about God from those. What does she do? What does full-on faith do? Quite simply this, nothing more, nothing less. It takes God at, its, at his word. Full-on faith takes God at his word. It walks on the word of the Lord. Full-on faith walks on the word of the Lord. To what extent does that describe you, friend? Through thick and thin, through the, the, the excitements and through the, you know, the valley moments, through the pain, through the boring bits, through all the in-betweens of life that we all experience. Are you choosing to be somebody who is learning, like Brother Thomas did, like Ruth does here, to walk on the word of the Lord, to let that be the ground beneath your feet, which is solid? Ruth did not know what the future held. We do get that, don't we? She made this incredibly brave choice, not knowing what the future was going to be at all, very uncertain. But she had begun and come to know, was beginning to come to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and that he was trustworthy. Here's Psalm 91, for example, a promise in the word of God. It says this, The Lord will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. There's a promise from the scriptures, of which there are zillions. I'm suspecting she may even have known that. Who knows? Actually, no, she wouldn't have done, because it probably wasn't written. But we, there's, there's something about the way that God communicates his faithfulness to these people that she has got grabbed a hold of. And it's going to trust. And it's interesting that Boaz later says to her and commends Ruth and says, may you be rewarded by the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Whether things turned out well for her whether or not, she was going to base her faith on the word and character of God, not on her experiences. Is that you? She made this incredibly selfless decision. It wasn't for her sake. It was for, for, out of love for her vulnerable mother-in-law. Note to self about mothers-in-law trusted that the Lord would take care of her. There was a, there was a, there was a woman in this church uh, for many, many years. Uh, she's now with the Lord. And at one point in her life, she was engaged to be married. Her brother was also engaged and got married before her in Australia. And she was going to leave with her husband-to-be to South America, but her parents weren't very well. She felt the Lord tell her that she needed to break off her engagement in order to honor her parents and not leave them alone in this country. And so she did massively sacrificial choice for the sake of honoring her parents and she uh, didn't get married to the, the man that she loved. And actually she never married again. She would have loved to have got married but she, she chose not to get married. She just didn't have the, uh, that, the blessing of getting married again. But she lived a full and fulfilled life. She trusted that the Lord would provide for her needs. She didn't see marriage as the need, the, the idol that so often it is unless this is you know, in place, I can't have a fulfilled life. Of course, she wanted that, but she didn't make it her idol. Jesus wasn't married, by the way, and he had the most fulfilled life of anybody who's ever lived. And I'm not suggesting she found that uh, um, easy. It would have been hard. And yet, uh, she, she uh, had this uh, amazing life. She trusted that the Lord would take care of her. My God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Jesus. I've come that you might have life in all its fullness, says Jesus. So there was the word of the Lord, uh, and Erica stood on, on that word. Actually, come to think of it, in, I don't think she's here tonight, but she probably just had a baby, I think. Um, Abby Reed, as she was, now Abby Fitzsimon, some of you would, would know her. Abby's been our mission partner in Mozambique for about four or five years. She initially went out for one year, 
But she sensed at the end of that year that the Lord was calling her to stay and to make it her long-term home, or at least medium to long-term home. And she knew that that was the Lord's word to her. And so she was faithful to that word, even though she knew in the same time that that would diminish quite considerably her chances of finding a husband, which she, of course, wanted to do. Um, And as as it turns out, in that particular case, uh, as you can probably tell from the fact that I think she's had a baby this week, last week, um, she got married to to Matt, and, and they're over here for nine months with us. God being gracious. But full-on faith is not blind faith. It's a faith that says God is good. He is truth, and I'm going to walk on his word. Final thing. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it like this. I trust him so much that I don't doubt that he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And he will turn to my good whatever adversity comes my way in this sad world. He is able to do this. Because he is almighty God, he desires to do this because he is a faithful father. And so there we are, Ruth finds herself back in Jerusalem and a few centuries later, uh, our biggest need was met as the son of God himself entered the world there to meet our deepest need, which is for forgiveness and for reconnection with the, the king of kings. But God, but God, life is tough, but God. Life is tough, but God. Life is tough, but God. May the Holy Spirit impact and inspire us and grow our conviction and our confidence that that is true in the way that we, in the way that we live. Let's stand together.